You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. I love a good book about film photography, but until very recently, most of the books on my shelf dated from the 1970s, the 1980s, or the 1990s. But that all changed when I got my hands on a newly published book, well, it's been published in the last year, called Analog Photography. So in this episode, I'm doing a review of that book, along with a discussion around quite a few readers' letters and messages that I've received over the last couple of months. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras, instant cameras, and everything analog photography related. Hello my friends, how are you? I hope you are well, wherever you are all around the world. It's been such a long time since I've done a podcast. I think it's been like five weeks now. So I apologise for the silence. Don't worry, I'm definitely not giving up podcasting. Uh, I've just had a lot on my plate recently. We're actually um, travelling overseas at the moment uh, and I'm recording this episode uh, from the side of a canal in beautiful England. Uh, It is a beautiful sunny day. I'm actually hiding here in the shade along the canal bank uh, and the water is just beautiful. There's birds, uh, dogs barking in the background and occasionally some people will walk by the canal banks and there'll be a canal boat sort of float by as well. It's very beautiful and very picturesque. Just a quick recap, my name's Matt Murray, I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In most episodes of the podcast, I play around with a film or an instant camera, telling you about their history, their features, what they're like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from them. This episode is a little bit different. I'll be doing a review of a newish book on the scene called Analog Photography, and I'll also be discussing quite a few readers' letters and messages I've had over the last couple of months. This is a bit of a catch-up episode in many ways, uh, just because um, I wanted to do this review and also discuss all these messages I'd received. Uh, But don't worry, there's plenty more camera reviews coming up very, very soon. So let's crack on with the review of the book Analog Photography. Uh, Now, I actually had a review copy of this book from the lovely people at Princeton Architectural Press. So thank you so much to them. But I want to assure you guys that when I do receive something for review, I'm always very honest in my opinions. So when I first received this book in the post, I was very impressed for two reasons. First of all, the book is a really nice size. Um, It's kind of not too big, not too small, not too heavy, not too light. So it's around, let's have a look here, it's around six inches by around eight inches. Uh, That was just a cyclist walking, going past if you wonder what that noise was. Uh, Yeah, so the book is around six inches by eight inches. Uh, it's probably about, I don't know, half an inch thick. Um, so that's in, in, in the metric, that's uh, 16 centimetres by 21 centimetres. And it's about just under two centimetres thick. So it's, it's a really nice sized book. 
Um, and you can sort of put it in your camera bag, put it in your work bag. Um, that's actually something I did. I, I actually took it um, to work with me for about three weeks and every day, either on the way to work or the way home from work, I sort of flicked through it and read the book. Uh, so it, it kind of, you barely noticed it in your bag. The other thing that really, really impressed me was the design of the book. Now, it's a beautiful kind of bright yellow front cover to the book. There's right in the middle, there's a camera and it's kind of like a schematic kind of diagram of a camera, like an SLR side on with sort of um, numbers pointing to various parts of the camera. Uh, At the top, it says analog photography. Uh, analog is spelt the North American way. <laughs> um, so here in Australia, well, I'm here in Australia, here in the United Kingdom, but also in Australia, we spell analog with a U-E on the end. Um, but this is analog photography, the North American way. And in the top left-hand corner, it says reference manual for shooting film. Uh, down the bottom left-hand corner, it's got the author's name, Andrew Bellamy. Now the front cover, I've got to, I've got to tell you about the front cover. It, the book's a paperback but it's really, really beautiful. Like a lot of, when you say the words paperback, you might think it's really flimsy or it might rip easily, but this, the front, the cover of this book is beautiful because it's kind of textured um, and it's it's really nice to hold in your hand. Uh, it's a lovely textured feel to it and it, it does give the book, uh, along with the design and the content, uh, this front cover gives the book a real feel of quality and uh, that quality shines throughout the entire kind of the package of the book. Now, when I was researching the author, I actually found an interview with him, uh, and he actually told the interviewer that the whole book, Analog Photography, actually started out as a design project. He loves cameras, and he's a designer, and he wanted to create a really beautiful book about cameras. And that sort of, the whole thing that it's a design project, it shines throughout the whole book. Um, So he actually did the, the book originally on a very limited run publisher in Europe saw it and loved it and they actually printed the first copies of the book and then Princeton Architectural Press have also reprinted it uh, also still in the first edition Um, but there you go that's how this whole book came about just through a personal design project from the author Andrew Bellamy now also if you did want to check out Andrew's website you can do that I've got it up here again this is a really really beautiful website it's ilotvintage.com so it's i-l-o-t-t vintage.com and if you go on there there's a whole lot of information about cameras uh, some really nice photos on there in fact some of the photos are the same photos that you'll see in the book uh, analog photography So yes, as you flick through the book, um, you can see that the design is beautiful. Um, The thing about the design is this, and you can tell it's been done by a designer, because certain pages you'll flick onto, and there's only like a paragraph of information on the page, and then the rest is white space. So where there's only been a little bit of information about a topic the the author the designer has not been uh, felt pressured to fill it up with a whole load of information and load a whole load of text like so many um, sort of book publishers do this is the book the whole design of the book is really beautiful and everything about the design of the book the font um, you know the, the diagrams it really has a retro feel to it and it really complements the subject matter of the book beautifully. Now, as you flick through the first few pages of the book, it actually kind of gives you a bit of a heads up about what the book is about. So, on the front cover, it has reference manual for shooting film. Now, I'm not sure that is the greatest sort of um, thing to put on the cover because although there's a lot of fantastic 
information in the book about shooting film, and I, I can't um, uh, you know argue with that at all. Um, in the book, as you open it up, it does say this. It says that in the, in the forward or the the beginning introduction. It says that the book focuses on mechanical cameras from the mid-1930s to the late 60s, early 70s. So, uh, although I, I love the book and it's got a lot of fantastic information in there, I, I am a little bit confused about the, the line reference manual for shooting film because, of course, you can shoot film on a, you know, a Contax T3 or a Fujifilm Class S or you know um, a recent kind of SLR film camera, or, or, a, or a 1980s sure shot. Um, it, you haven't got to um, shoot film on a mechanical camera from the 30s to the 70s. Obviously, that is where the the author's passion lies. Um, but that's the only thing I thought that was a little bit strange. That that line on the front cover, reference manual for shooting film. Now I'm not sure how feasible it would be, but I'd love to see a follow up to this book around, you know, from the 1970s onwards, around, you know, um, point-and-shoots, SLRs, rangefinders, all using that uh, the more electronic sort of components. Obviously, you wouldn't get as, as much information around the uh, the manual um, process of shooting film, but nevertheless, it's, it's still shooting film, and I, I think that kind of book would be fascinating too. So the book is broken up into chapters. Uh, so the first chapter is General Nomenclature, and it sort of shows um, a series of cameras, there's mechanical cameras from the 30s to the 70s, and it points out all the different parts of these cameras. Um, so, it's, you know, tells about, you know, shutter speed dials, um, ISO selectors, rewinds, you know, re- how to rewind the film, all that kind of stuff. So it tells you about all the parts of the cameras and it uses you know a couple of different at least a couple of different models of cameras I believe uh, to explain all that stuff. The second chapter is about lenses, the third chapter is about speeds and exposure, the fourth chapter is the effects of aperture and shutter speed, the fifth chapter is range finders and SLRs and the sixth chapter is film and filters. And I'll just call out, I'm just going to go through, within those chapters, you know, it goes through things, stuff like, you know, what the numbers on a lens means, uh, you know, uh, concepts around the focal length, angle of view, um, information around leaf shutters and focal plane shutters, all stuff about shutter speeds and film speeds. Got some really good information on exposure value and light value, and it has some really cool light, uh, LV tables, light value tables, which I found really, um, really interesting, and that kind of really improved my knowledge on that subject. It talks about light meters, the Sunny 16 rule, a flash synchronization and connections. Um, it talks about stuff like um, bokeh or bokeh, uh, motion blur, the sharpest aperture, vignetting, stuff like that. It goes through a whole load of information on SLRs and rangefinders, um, talking about sort of how to, to focus them, different focusing methods on different cameras. And towards the end, it goes through all different kinds of film, um, you know, resolution, sharpness, stepping rings, filters, what the filters do, uh, camera care and storage, angle of view calculations, and some really good sort of tables in the um, in the back of the book as well. Now I don't know about you, but I am not the kind of person that uh, to reads a book. <laughs> if it's a reference book, I do not read it from the first page to the last page. I I love just flicking through books, seeing what catches my eye, and delving in and and reading stuff around that topic. And certainly this book in that regard is an absolute delight. 
I think as I said earlier, I took it to work for three weeks and every day on the way home or, or way to work, I would just find a topic that I hadn't discovered yet and I'd read about it. And, um, you know, the, the, the illustrations and the diagrams in the book are, for the most part, very easy to understand and they make some very technical uh, concepts very easy to understand, which is great. Um, all the photographs and illustrations are in black and white. Now, the illustrations, I guess it doesn't matter so much. The photographs, it, it would have been nice to see the photos uh, in colour. Um, certainly, if you go to Andrew's website, you can see a couple of the photos there, and, and they do look a lot better in colour, in my opinion, than black and white. Um, but they're just, I guess they're just illustrating concepts in the book. And um, I guess when you do print a book in colour, it probably costs a lot more than when you print it in black and white. So that was probably a factor. It's actually really great that, um, you know, as well as all these, you know, some more film emulsions coming on the market, there's more film labs, um, you know, film processors, film stores, online film stores. And we've also got this book come out in the last year, which is great to see another, you know, a new, another part of the jigsaw, a new book about film photography. So it's really good. The book is really, really good value for money. Uh, so currently on Amazon.com, oh, I've actually got Amazon.co.uk here. Um, oh, sorry, it's Amazon.com. It's selling on Amazon.com for six, just over 16 American dollars. That's a great price for this book. I mean, could you find a lot of this information elsewhere for free? I'm sure you could, but you're probably not going to find it easily all in one place um, for that kind of price. And the other thing is this, the book is a really, really beautiful book just to have around. I keep mentioning the design of this book. It's actually a really lovely book to have on a coffee table at home. And I'm sure if you did that, you would actually, you know, spark conversation uh, with your, your guests who come around, whether they love cameras or not. I'm sure they'd pick it up and flick through it and go, oh, wow, this looks really cool because it does look really cool. So in summary, I love this book. Uh, Analog Photography by Andrew Bellamy. Uh, thank you so much to Princeton Architectural Press for giving me a review copy. I wholeheartedly recommend it. I learn a lot of stuff from the book. You probably know from previous episodes, I'm not the most technical of photographers. I know about some of the technical stuff, but only as much as I need to know uh, to get by. But certainly in, in different areas, uh, this book really did improve my knowledge. So I give it um, I give it a very good score. I don't know what score I give it. I give it four and a half out of five. <laughs> You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Yay! So I've just moved down the canal um, a couple of hundred yards, a couple hundred meters. Uh, where I was sitting was actually really nice and peaceful, but I was getting eaten alive by these flies. Um, they're kind of biting my legs. Uh, in Australia, the flies just annoy you, but here in England by the canal bank, they were kind of attacking my legs. And my laptop, my little laptop was actually quite hot in the sun. And I had a message from my Mac saying, uh, it's too, I'm too hot please shut down Adobe Audition. Um, but <laughs> never fear, I've moved down the canal bank, uh, just near the bridge. Uh, I'm in the shade now and the laptop's going okay. And there's not, not many flies here, which is great. I'm actually um, on part of the Staffordshire and Worcestershire Canal. Uh, of course, canals crisscross, uh, you know, Great Britain. Um, back in the olden days before the railways, uh, a lot of the freight traffic in Great Britain was handled by the canals. So you have these very long boats, uh, very narrow boats called narrow boats. 
uh, narrow boats go up and down the canals. Um, yeah, back in the olden days, they used to be one of the main ways that uh, freights, you know, goods would get around Great Britain. Uh, these days, you know, there's a lot of people who still live on narrow boats, um, but a lot of the time, people sort of hire them for the day or hire them for like a one-week holiday. And it's a very, very beautiful, very, very pleasant way of seeing uh, England. Uh, in fact, if you if you ever do come to England, guys, you've got to get out in the countryside, um, especially places like uh, Shropshire, Staffordshire, Worcestershire, Herefordshire. Um, I really love this part of the world. There's a lot of beautiful old sort of black and white buildings, um, a lot of nice country pubs. The, the countryside is beautiful. There's lots of historic houses. Um, so it's really somewhere that I, I would recommend uh, you come sort of the western part of, of the Midlands. Uh, very, very, very beautiful. Oh, one other thing to explain about the canal is the place I'm at is a place called the Bratch Locks. Uh, and so locks are away. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. I'm not, an, I'm not a canal expert. But locks are away uh, for a canal boat to get to a higher part of the terrain to a lower part of the terrain. Uh, of course, you can't build a canal down a hill. Well, you kind of can, but you need something called a lock. So it's kind of like an elevator. And, you know, uh, the canal boat enters in the top uh, of this thing called a lock and either side of the boat they sort of close the water off close the, the I don't know how to explain it they close a gate off sorry they close a gate off and then they lower the water and the canal boat goes down or the canal boat goes up and that's how um, a, a canal boat can go, uh, keep going along the canal from a higher part of the terrain to a lower part of the terrain through something called a lock, a canal lock. And uh, the Bratch locks here are, are quite a very well known in the area as a, as a beautiful um, place to come on a nice sunny day, uh, which it is today. And you can probably hear the birds singing, uh, blue skies, the flowers are out. Uh, it's, it's a really, really beautiful um, part of the countryside. And it's great to, to watch the canal boats. Um, when I first actually uh, arrived here today, there was two canal boats uh, going up and down the locks. And I only, t I only took one picture thinking, oh, there'll be, there'll be loads more. And I've been here an hour and there's been no more canal boats. Uh, so I'm hoping after I wrap this recording up, uh, I'll, I'll get to see another one and take some photos before I have to leave. Okay, so the first reader's letter came in from Ed Worthington. Uh, so thank you so much to Ed for sending me a message. He emailed mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So if you have any questions, queries, comments, feedback, please email into mattlovescameras at gmail.com or you can also hit me up on Instagram, uh, send me a direct message at mattlovescameras. So Ed writes, hi there, been meaning to give you a podcast to listen for a while, really enjoyed it and just wanted to drop you a message to say so. Well, thank you so much for that, Ed. Just finished listening to the newest episode in buying through eBay, etc. My best purchase was, oh, sorry, my best purchase that way was my Bronica S2A. Cost me 200 pounds, came with the original box, manual. The thing looked brand new for a 50 plus year old camera. Anyway, you've got yourself a new listener. Kind regards, Ed Worthington. Thanks so much to Ed for writing in. We actually uh, swapped a couple of more messages after that. Uh, I was telling Ed that I've got a Bronica, he's got a Bronica S2A. I've got a Bronica SQA, uh, which has sat in my office at home uh, for about 15, 16 months now, and I haven't <laughs> used it. Uh, so I think Ed was giving me a nudge to get out there and use that Bronica. Uh, so that's something I definitely want to do before 2019 finishes. Um, so yeah, Bronicas seem to be a really good value uh, for money camera. A lot of the um, you know the medium format cameras have gone up in recent times, uh, but Bronicas seem to be uh, really good value for money. 
Uh, there's probably a reason for that, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what it is. Okay, the next reader's letter. Well, actually not, I shouldn't say reader's letter, should I? It's a, it's a listener's letter. Uh, actually, it's not even a letter, it's an email. <laughs> so the, the next listener email uh, was from Frank Woodward. Uh, and Frank writes in and he says, Matt, I was catching up on past episodes of your podcast and I heard you mention the Blackbird fly camera. I bought one of these while traveling recently and I'm really enjoying it. It's great to hear, Frank. It is a, a fabulous little camera. I love the Blackbird Fly. It's it's a really funky, cool kind of camera. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it. I have an Epson film scanner, but I haven't been able to scan the entire width to include the sprockets on the film. Do you have any advice? Of course, uh, with the Epson um, film holders, when you put the film, 35mm film in the film holders, it, it put, does it exactly, uh, it sort of cuts out the sprocket holes. So, well, the, the sprocket holes kind of lay against the edge of the uh, the film holder. So that's why uh, Frank and myself and everyone else cannot scan sprockets with an Epson film holder. Uh, Frank continues, I've tried the approach of taking a photo of the film against a light box background, but I can't seem to easily get the film positioned flat and in focus. I also have a film scanner that can accommodate large format sheet film, but I still haven't been able to get the 35mm braced in that scanner without a dedicated holder. Thanks for any ideas you might have. So, yeah, that it is a little bit tricky. Um, so I've got an Epson V550, which is, is fine for scanning, you know, regular 35mm film where the, the sprockets aren't exposed. If you do want to scan the whole of the film, including the sprockets, though, you'll need to come up with a, a different approach. So I gave, I, I replied to Frank and I gave him a couple of different options of what I've done. So the first thing I've done is I've actually laid 35mm negs flat on the Epson scanner. So no holder, just flat on the scanner. Now, it can be difficult if the film curls, if it's curly film, um, but I, and it's also difficult to get straight um, because when you scan it, of course, it can come out, you've got to do a, a scan of a, of a kind of a diagonal kind of negative. It's a bit annoying. Even if it's only one or two degrees off center, it, it can be annoying uh, trying to scan it. But I have tried that approach. I've laid the negs flat on the scanner. Uh, and quite a few times, I didn't see any Newton rings when I was scanning uh, 35mm film straight on the scan uh, on the scanner. Uh, it's, they're probably not the best, you know, um, quality of scans in the world. It, I've read it a lot of times and a lot of people have told me that, you know, the negatives should ideally be positioned a little bit off the scanner for the best kind of results. But I mean, for sharing on social media and sort of showing people, the scans I had were, were fine for that. Uh, you know, if I was going to do something like an exhibition or a zine with these, I would get them rescanned, uh, and I'd try and do it a bit better. <laughs> uh, but for initial results, they were fine. Now, another option you have is to lay the negs flat on the scanner again, but this time put some glass, uh, some museum glass or anti-Newton ring glass. Now, they're two different things, and I'll talk about that in a sec. But if you put the negs flat on the scanner and put some glass over the top and then scan it, um, that's another option you have. Now, I've I bought some museum glass, uh, which is very, very sort of see-through glass. I mean, all, all glass is see-through, right? But this is like almost invisible, um, very uh, low reflective qualities of the glass. Uh, I'd actually had a lot of people in North America call, call museum glass. 
um, and they said that they use museum glass for their scanning. So I bought some here locally in Brisbane, uh, but it, it does reflect light. So I have, uh, when I scanned my 127 and 126 film using this museum glass, I was getting Newton rings, um, which is not, not the best really. Uh, it just made things you know, more complicated for me because I had to scan, rescan. I had to try and clone some of the, the Newton rings out and it didn't work. So it was a real pain in the bum. Um, now, since I told you guys about those issues I had with the Newton rings in the uh, episodes uh, when, I, when I scanned 126 and 127 film, so one of the first people to message me was Matthew Joseph, who I'm sure you will know if you listen to the Sunny 16 podcast. Matthew is a very big part of the team. He uh, updates the website. He's appeared on the show. He's appeared on Backing Paper. Uh, and he's recently taken over the Sunny 16 Instagram and uh, been absolutely smashing out the content there on the Instagram for the Sunny 16. And Matthew, of course, has his own very good podcast uh, as well. So, and uh, there's uh, maybe a rumor that Matthew's starting that back up again. Let's, fingers crossed. Um, so Matthew texted me and he put, um, let's have a look. He put different framers. Oh no, sorry. The first thing he put was, is the glass textured? And I said, well, it's museum glass, very, very low reflective qualities. Other people swear by it, but I get Newton rings. And he replied, different framers call glass different things. Is it kind of mottled? And I was thinking, mottled? What are you talking about, dude? And I put, nope, it's almost invisible. Um, it was from a picture framers. Uh, it wasn't from a glass place. It was a picture framers. And he said that might be actually be art glass, which is also called gallery glass, which can also be called museum glass but you don't want that. You want anti-reflective. It's kind of mottled and textured. And I put, oh, really? Oh, no. And I put the poop emoji. <laughs> uh, so that was Matthew's um, advice to me that I'm basically using the wrong glass, which is why I'm getting Newton rings with that glass. Now, the next person to get in touch with me, or it was actually about the same time, was another person who you'll, well, another person you'll know if you, uh, you're in the Negative Positives Facebook group, or if you listen to the Sunny 16 backing paper. It is, of course, Alistair Dougal, or is it Alistair Dougal? Uh, I'll leave that guys. I'll leave that up for you to guys to uh, to work out. Uh, but Alistair uh, messaged me. He lives in Sydney, and he messaged me and put, "Hi Matt, finally got through both your Instamatic and one two seven format episodes. Enjoyed both." Well, thank you so much, kind sir. Two things. You need anti-Newton glass, not museum glass. One has a tiny etching in the surface. The other is great for displaying photos, as there is very little reflection, but it produces Newton rings. Uh, and he also put, second point is that slightly out of focus children is the norm for those two cameras. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, I, I'm getting, I've actually had so many cameras lately where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to these sort of modern cameras like the Fujifilm Class S that have very short uh, minimum focus distances. And of course, with my digital equipment, uh, you know, for example, when I shoot Fujifilm, um, you know, the 16mm lens, for example, uh, the 16 1.4 in the Fujifilm X series has a minimum focus distance of 15 centimetres, you know, which is what, six inches. Uh, so I'm really used to shooting very close to subjects. Uh, but and I, I've been trying to stop that when I've been using those older cameras and some cheap point and shoots. 
but I've been failing miserably. So I've, I've had quite a few photos lately where very close up subjects or even subjects that are about, you know, six feet away are out of focus. So I've got to, I've got to remember that. So thank you so much to Alistair for getting in touch. And that's another vote for I need new glass, basically. Rather than museum glass, I need anti-Newton ring glass. third message I had about the glass issue was from Paul Wheeler, who lives here in Australia, and Paul has uh, messaged in quite a few times before, and you can check his stuff out at Paul Wheeler Photo on Instagram, and he messaged me at Matt Loves Cameras on Instagram and said, hey Matt, just heard on the podcast about the issues you're having with Newton rings while scanning. As you know, I scan some of my negs to include the sprockets. With an Epson, you cannot do that with the supplied holders. I tried straight on the scanner bed with A&R glass on top, that's anti-Newton ring glass on top, and had Newton rings appear. I then got a second piece of A&R glass and sandwiched the neg between the two pieces of glass and have not had a Newton ring since. It also gives you that little bit of standoff you need from the scanner bed for correct focus. That's why the supplied neg holders have little feet on the bottom. Hope that helps. Yes, that makes perfect sense and that is a great help. So there you go. That is probably the approach I'm going to try next. Uh, I'm going to try and find a supplier of anti-Newton ring glass here in Australia and I'm going to try the approach that Paul has suggested. Um, so he's also he said that he had a framing place nearby and he had some small anti-Newton ring glass So and they were about $15 a piece. And they're about four by five, or is it five by four? That's a debate going on in on other uh, on other film photography related websites and channels at the moment. So thanks so much to uh, Paul, Matthew, and Alistair for letting me know what they know about that issue. So certainly now I've been mucking around with that uh, museum glass, but I'm now going to try and source some anti-Newton ring glass and I might do it in a sandwich like Paul suggested and see if I get some better results. Now, the third option you have, uh, there's probably a million different options, but there's only three I know of. The third option you have is buying the Lomography Digitalizer. That's very hard to say. Uh, scanning sort of mask thing. So that is actually where you can put 35mm film in a scanning holder that will work with your Epson scanner and uh, it actually scans the sprockets. Of course, there are Lomography uh, cameras such as the sprocket rocket where you know they purposefully are designed so you can expose the sprockets so lomography have developed that uh, scanning mask which is compatible with epson scanners where you can scan the sprockets so that's available i think it's about 30 us dollars so if you're going to scan the sprockets a lot that's definitely worth it i guess for me uh, I would prefer something like the anti-Newton ring glass approach just because then I can also uh, scan weird formats in it like uh, 126, 127 and uh, other formats I'm, I'm yet to discover. I think it might be a little bit more uh, flexible than, than just buying the digitalizer mask just for 35mm film. 
Oh, now there is a fourth option that I know about, thanks to another message I got from a listener, Shane Morrison, who uh, you may know. He is a very, very knowledgeable guy about uh, classic lenses, about cameras, uh, especially Polaroid cameras, uh, amongst many other areas of specialty that he has. Uh, Shane lives in uh, North Queensland, sunny North Queensland, and uh, he actually sent me a message on Facebook. And he sent me some resources about 127 film and about scanning. And the one about scanning uh, actually linked to a company called betterscanning.com. So this is a company in the United States, I believe. They ship worldwide. But it's a, it's a company that makes glass inserts. So anti-Newton ring glass inserts for popular scanner holders. So if you have an Epson or a Canon, a Microtech or an Agfa scanner, they sell, they've, they've custom made the uh, the glass that fits into or fits on top of the holders. So you put your film in the holder for your scanner and they sell you glass that goes on top, anti-Newton ring glass that goes on top. So check out them as well. Uh, so that's uh, betterscanning.com. Uh, so that's one that other people sort of swear by as well, getting that glass on top of the the manufacturer's film holders. Now, Cheyenne also sent me some information about the Polaroid chocolate film uh, some time ago, actually, but I'm saving that up for when I do an episode with Polaroid pack film. Uh, I, I have a couple of Polaroid pack film cameras and I have some FP100C in my fridge. Uh, so hopefully not too not too far away there'll be an episode with uh, Polaroid uh, compatible pack film. Now speaking of Polaroid, I had a, another lovely email from Alan Daly, who you may remember uh, used to oh, he wrote into the show a couple episodes ago, and he used to work for Polaroid in the UK. So the email starts. Hi Matt, thought I would update you with some additional information about the SE cameras produced by Polaroid. SE of course means special edition. My role in the sales team at Polaroid in the UK was to sell the range of film and cameras to as many different outlets as possible. With the SE range, it was purely a way of supplying cameras to camera dealers, which gave them a point of difference over other sales outlets like chemists and other stores. Over the last few days, I've been reading the book The Branding of Polaroid by Paul Giambaba. I hope I pronounced that name right. Giambaba was the guy who, over two decades, created much of the branding we all know Polaroid for, including the rainbow colouring. In his book, he touches how little the Polaroid USA company cared or showed interest in the main photographic dealers. So I actually found on the web a little excerpt from this book called The Branding of Polaroid. And this is in Paul's words here. I did manage to get my teeth into this project, which was created to cozy up to independent camera stores, otherwise long ignored while Polaroid concentrated on major market distributors. I guess no one was paying a lot of attention, so I was able to get away with naming store owners CPSs or Certified Polaroid Specialists on phony diplomas. So that's very interesting. Um, so there we go. A branding guy who, who worked with Polaroid for a couple of decades um, basically created this, this kind of fake certification um, just to get in the good books of independent camera store owners. Um, so very, very interesting. And that's a book that I, I would love to read as well. That is called The Branding of Polaroid by Paul Giambaba. 
Sorry about that pronunciation, guys. And thank you so much to Alan for writing in again. And I hope you're continuing to buy those Polaroid cameras, Alan, and shoot that Polaroid film. Check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. If you're on Instagram, come say hi at mattlovescameras. If you fancy getting in touch, drop us a line at mattlosscameras at gmail.com. Now, the last little uh, correspondence I want to touch upon is not from a listener per se, uh, but it's actually someone who I was in touch with recently. You may remember from my Kodak Brownie Starlet episode, I shot a roll of Arirachrome, which is the color slide 127 film currently available on 127 day which is the 12th of July and I sent it off to JM Golding who is the person who looks after the 127 film day website which you can find at 127film.blogspot.com so I emailed JM Golding uh, an email for inclusion in the exhibition. Now, you may, may remember from the 127 um, episode, the Kodak Brownie style episode, I was telling you guys that uh, sometimes in some of the images, there was like a mottled sort of texture in the images, which was kind of weird. I couldn't work out if it was because I put the film in the fridge or if it was the backing paper or, or, or what it was. But here is J.M. Golding's reply. Thanks. I'm glad you participated in 127 Day. I'm afraid I don't know what's going on with your Rerochrome. I don't think I've ever actually used any, though I have a roll that's been sitting in my fridge for a very long time. I've been told that it tends to shift yellow, if that makes any difference. Could it possibly be backing paper texture from light leaks in the camera? It could be, it could be. The first pink trumpet flower tree photo on your website, and actually most, if not all, of the other colour images... Looks as if there could be some extra light coming in along the upper edge, especially at the upper right. The camera looks quite adorable in your hand in the photo at the top of the page, by the way. Keep on 127ing. Good light, J.M. Golding. Uh, So that was really lovely uh, to get a reply. And uh, yeah, I mean, that camera probably has a ton of light leaks. Uh, I do want to shoot some more 127 film, and I'm currently on the lookout for another 127 camera. Uh, While I've been here in the UK, I have been gifted a 127 camera, a Benici Comet. I'm still not sure if the camera is working 100% correctly, uh, but I'm going to try and sort that out in the next couple of weeks and uh, try and shoot some more 127 film. Um, But, uh, wow, my image was actually included in the exhibition, so I feel very chuffed about this because there's some really cool photos uh, on this website. So go to 127film.blogspot.com and there's the 127 Day online exhibition, 12th of July, 2019. There's some really cool images by people using all sorts of cameras, different types of film. Like some people have used uh, Rerapan which, you know, or Rerachrome. Some people have used 35mm color negative film in a 127 camera. Uh, and quite surprisingly, there was actually a photo of a town in the UK called Walsall uh, by Dale Willits. Uh, Dale is, of course, delusions of competence with some underscores in there as well on Instagram. And I've followed Dale for a while now. 
Um, I did not realise that Dale lived near Walsall. Uh, or maybe Dale doesn't live near Walsall. Maybe he just went to Walsall for the day. I don't know. But Walsall is actually uh, when my daughter was born. And I used to work in Walsall in the West Midlands. I used to work for the council. Uh, that's where I met my wife, Sarah. Uh, so it was very, very surprising to see a nice image of uh, Walsall there. And the, the two images towards the bottom of the page are really cool. One, One's by Dale and one's by J.M. Golding. I don't know how they've produced those images, but they are amazing. And I, I feel a bit basic in my image that's in the exhibition. Uh, but I encourage you guys to check those images out. They're really cool. Uh, I love them. 127film.blogspot.com. And yeah, dig out that 127 camera and, and uh, see if you guys can shoot some uh, 127 film and take part next time. Now, there is a comment on the website that someone made, which is very, very interesting about one of the cameras that I've covered in the past on Matt Loves Cameras. Uh, I'm actually going to keep that for a future show, though, just because I've shot a roll of film on that camera and I want to talk about it again. So that'd be an ideal opportunity. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. It wasn't quite as short as I thought. It's just gone past 40 minutes, I think. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. It was a bit of a mishmash today. I had a review and I had a whole load of reader's letters. Uh, I hope you did find it interesting. I hope you learned something. I have certainly learned from all the readers, or the listeners' uh, letters, the listeners' emails. Uh, and if you'd like to get in touch, of course, it's mattlovescameras at gmail.com. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I will be back very, very soon. I've got so many more shows for you guys, um, so don't worry. Um, I know I've had some time off, but uh, keep watching that podcast app because the shows are going to keep on coming every seven to ten days, hopefully, uh, for the next little bit while I catch up. So take care. Until I speak to you guys next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. forward slash Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.